Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison the Third. I'm Louis Fertel, and I have the sniffles. And it better not be leg two of the gay cold. I'm angry, but I'm happy to be here. Hi. Wasn't your Keep It to the gay cold once before? I know. Well, and I now mean, you're just throwing the term around. Right. Uh, bite me once or whatever, etc. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> once bitten. <laughs> Twice a bitch. Yeah. Uh, speaking of bitches. Miss Aida. Hi, I'm Aida Osman. I'm Jojo Siwa's lesbian dance partner on this coming <laughs> season of <laughs> Dancing with the Stars. And we're saying that to prep you guys for um, missing me the next few months. So I'll be doing pirouettes on TV. Gay, in a gay way. So. That's actually a news item I have forgotten to think about. I mean, it's like a, a sort of gay show with like glitter and Liberace type accoutrement. Yeah, it has a sheen. And yet... This will be specifically gay in a way that is brand new. Though, you know what? I'm still mad at that show. Tom Bergeron was the best host, and they got rid of him anyway. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, no, you're actually going to film your Issa Rae show. Yeah, I'll be gone. I'll be very, very gone, learning lines yeah. and acting, you know, be, I guess. But. Being an actress? Yes, Meryl Streep, sit down. A new cancer <laughs> actress is coming. <laughs> Take a rest, uh, girl. I'm here. Aida's going to come back in transition to the star of Keep It, unfortunately. Ugh, oh, God. God. I'm going to come back as an absolute monster. Just transformed. <laughs> my, my second generation Pokemon is just against Ira. Well, by the way, I mean, I mean, already, though, when we post our pictures of all of us for every episode of Keep It, the comments are always like, oh, my God, Aida, oh my God, a supermodel. Stop. And then maybe I, I get a comment like, oh, and who's that, Jack Klugman? Like, so already it's too much. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, so you'll be gone uh, through November, and we'll have some yes. we'll have some exciting guest hosts for you. Some of your faves are coming back, and it'll be a fun rotation. Some new people too. You also just be lucky that you're getting a um, heads up about this because when I do enter the Big Brother house, <laughs> I won't be able to announce it. <laughs> I, I'll just be gone. <laughs> exactly. And also, don't think that we're doing this because we care. We are just fielding off DMs from you guys asking if I've died, which is usually the first instinct. Don't know why. Um, uh, maybe, potentially, I will be coming in with some dispatches from Miami while I'm there. Some things to complain about since I won't be able to leave my hotel. I'm going to need to I'm gonna need to be heard at some point. So stay tuned. Yeah, don't get COVID, girl. Mm-mm. Florida's popping. Never. Could never. <laughs> You'd have to go oh, outside yeah. to do that. There continue to be no rules in Florida. Everybody's like everybody's getting COVID in the middle of their ATV accidents. <laughs> <laughs> in other news, 
I guess there's going to be another Diana movie. Right. What? I haven't seen any other Diana movies, to be honest. I love how I said another Diana movie. I'm mostly just thinking about The Crown. Are there other Diana films? There's a whole Diana moment happening now, though. There's Spencer. There's uh, Diana the Musical coming to Broadway. Just between that and all the Harry, Meghan stuff, I just feel like I've been in the royal family's life a lot more than I need to be in the past two years. I also wonder if we're still really investigating the legacy of Diana or actually cheapening and making it less complicated than it was. I would have settled for just another Beanie Baby. We don't need another movie. But, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you're not, you're not fucking with the, the, with the Disney Princess Diana roller coaster that's going to come out next month? You're not oh. fucking with that one either? Yeah, I'm, oh, you're right. Wait, you, as in <laughs> Camila Cabello? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. The, the fact that there was a cultural touch point that you confused with my joke makes me know that we are, like, so far beyond oh, sanity right. in yes. the world yes. anymore. Uh, uh, well, I mean, like... The, the trailer looks good for Spencer. I'm not saying I'm I'm not rooting for Kristen Stewart, who I feel like is this weird kind of actress where if you find the exact right thing for her, she can be spellbinding, and this may be that. But I am also mad at the amount of think pieces on this movie being like, how Kristen Stewart nailed Princess Diana's accent when she said literally two words in the trailer. So I don't know what people are thinking or how much time they had to like pour over these two words but you know what the internet um content industrial complex is is high Mm. Mm -hmm. so got you have to write something about the trailer here we are talking about it i feel like you say that with the scars of daily beast on you (laughs) i I never want to look at those headlines again uh which i never wrote baby girl I, i never wrote the headlines myself the headlines are like our um Keep it episodes on Snapchat. Snapchat. (laughs) 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 The Spencer trailer is racist. (laughs) Right. Um, No, but that's a good rule of thumb when you're wondering why people are all abuzz about something on the internet. These columnists have to write something. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. they they have to get through the day. So they have to earn the paycheck. So that's why certain things are written. I am excited for it. However, as a Jackie fan, I am. Just wondering if this is going to be the same movie. It sure looks exactly mm. the same as Jackie. We're just running around an empty house. Yes, right. <laughs> You're kind of in a fairy tale video game version of Jackie's life. You know, the same thing with Princess Diana. I think half of Jackie is really good. I don't know. I, I That year I was rooting for Isabella Huppert, as you know, over Natalie Portman and Emma Stone. But, I mean, mm. if we got Jackie again, mm. I mean, there are worse movies. So T. there are worse movies like me falling asleep to uh he's all that last night oh i heard it's not Mm. good you know what when there are movies that are bad there are usually like people who are locals and um still like it you know there's always someone who is going to love a garbage film when i tell you that people whose tastes i don't even consider were like texting me about how abysmal the movie is and not just abysmal unwatchable (laughs) the level of bad acting from miss addison ray and her cohorts and just the entire plot is too much to bear Mm. i'm happy you gave it a chance i am somebody had to watch it you know i love trash i gotta try to finish it anyway aida yes your last episode for a bit yes so you know i'm about to go ape shit (laughs) but we want you all to keep listening um, and one thing you should do is rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. I feel like this is the first time we've ever asked this in ever. 195 episodes. But yeah, 
Wow. Go ahead and do it. No, because, you know, some of the commenters are, are really helpful. Others are simply violent, and we'd like <laughs> you to offset yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, some people are awful. I don't understand the levels of vitriol. How can y'all hate someone so much? You know? <laughs> Should my name be Lewis Vitriol? Should I change it to that for uh, Lewis, yes. future engagements? I would love yeah. that. I would love that. It was vitriol, because I have that on my face, you know? I'm <laughs> the rare man who is asked to smile more. That's what we call you. That's what we call you anyway, mm-hmm. behind your back. I just can't believe that nickname only occurred to me now. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, we are going to discuss some hot topics. Uh, Donda is here. Oh, so cold Donda, topics. Donda, okay, great. Donda, 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 We'll get into that. <laughs> uh, we're also going to talk about the new Black Film Archive. Give you all some of our favorite films to watch. Uh, and then, Benny Driver joins us this week for an interview that we unfortunately did record a couple of weeks ago. So, <laughs> Sydney Washington uh, is back for this episode. Good new guest appearance. You know, it's, a, it's already like this half a... Uh, couldn't even stay for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> That's how ready she is to get up out of here. <laughs> uh, so we've got that for you. And we will be right back. Takeline host Jason Conception is now hosting Crooked's brand new fan culture podcast, X-Ray vision every week he'll be joined by panelists for deep dives into your favorite films tv shows comics and all things nerd related check out the first episode of x-ray vision where jason gives a recap of the marvel cinematic universe phase four with actor jason manzukas and gives his take on the most recent spider-man trailer my take is it's fantastic you don't say king of spider-man lore <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to X-Ray Vision on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Attention California listeners. Due to some wacky laws, a small minority of California voters have forced a recall of Governor Gavin Newsom. If you're a registered voter, check your mail for your ballot. I have mine in my hand right now. Fill it out and return it by September 14th. Make sure you vote no on question one to stop a Republican takeover of California. And please note what we just said was not authorized by a candidate or a committee controlled by a candidate. Visit votesaveamerica.com slash California to learn more. So the Phantom of the Mercedes-Benz Stadium has finally released (laughs) this opera. Uh, Kanye West's Donda dropped on Sunday morning, chaotically, missing features, um, with little warning, rumors that he hadn't actually authorized the album's release, that Universal did it for him. All I know is it is like Sunday morning. I am sitting around a brunch table. Peacefully. And I get an email from work. Donda's here. I was like, all right. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess it's here. Uh, we're so deprived. We have nothing, nothing going on that this was a work email. And unfortunately, it is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you love it. Okay, well. I'm actually impressed that you made it through all seven hours of it. So that's like to have an opinion at all. 
It is too fucking long. It is it's longer than Life of Pablo. Also, the songs themselves are so long, and a lot of them pick kind of one mode and stick with it the entire song. So it's not like he couldn't have made them three minutes. Yeah, I feel like I'm usually argue that albums should be allowed to be as long as movies, especially if they're concept albums. Like, if we can sit through a three-hour movie, why can't we sit through an album? It feels arbitrary. I don't want to sit through a three-hour movie, Aida. Yeah. (laughs) 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 But why can't this album, like, have a concept to it? Why couldn't it actually have had any real, like, cohesive thought rather than just all these little feels like scratch tracks that were all thrown together. The thought, I guess, is that it is dedicated to his mother, Donda West, uh, who died on November 10th, 2007, due to complications from liposuction. It's dedicated to her, and we talked about this before. I hope that this is him laying this memory to rest because (laughs) I think his mother... Has had enough. No, you know it's not. <laughs> this is the precipice. The opening of this album with the Donda chant, hearing just Donda, Donda, Donda over and over again. Is he trying to summon her? It is creepy. It is creepy. It is creepy. Her <laughs> name gets said 58 times by the singer who we probably know from All Falls Down, uh, Selena Johnson. And I can't believe you wasted this beautiful woman's voice to just repeat your mother's name 58 times because she was 58 years old. Oh, numerology is coming into play, I see. Yes. It's too much. It's too much. It's too much. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. All Falls Down is such a gorgeous song. song. And I miss, ooh, it would have been lovely hearing her voice. She could have sang. She could have did something. She could have sang a little ditty for Donda. She could have been allowed a second word. <laughs> she could have been allowed some space. Well, let me say something. I, I was in the market for like a, a really good album because I am worried that Taylor Swift is going to get another fucking album of the year win with Evermore and I would like somebody to disrupt this chain. It's out of control that she keeps winning the Grammy for album of the year as I've said before. And by the way, I have very little hope about this Casey Musgraves album coming out. I am getting vibes from the Dixie Chicks last album where it was about a divorce and then not really finding a hook. (laughs) So (laughs) This it's not going to be it. No, it's not. I like it. It's <laughs> mm. certainly not album of the year. Uh, it is album of multiple years. Every time he comes out with a new album, there's always the hint at what it was before, what he was originally planning, which in one way is fine. You know, albums should be like living, breathing things, um, working drafts. You know, if you were working on one thing and you just got to scrap it and then you come up with something else, mm-hmm. that is what artists do. But there's never really someone who announces album releases, has them not come out, uh, has other album titles out in the ether, other songs that you've maybe heard before, track lists that you've seen, and then something just appears. And then you're also adding to it and deleting from it as it's dropped. It's psychotic. It's psychotic and it's like cloaked as performance art. And I'm not I'm not fucking with it at all. Like, even him staying at the stadium and working there is being cloaked as performance art. He's like, I'm obsessed with Marina Abramovich. Oh, I'm doing... You look like a chew toy. You're dressed like a chew toy, and you're living like... I don't get it. I don't get Kanye at all right now. And this is the descent into villain life that I feel like hip-hop just condones and supports in the past five, ten years. And I'm I'm just tired of seeing it. I don't get... We haven't even talked about all the Marilyn Manson... Oh, God, right. all All of the disgusting behavior around it. Let alone the album right. alone just being not worthy of that kind of behavior. 
as if any album would be. It's a descent into villainy. And first of all, ain't no Grammy happening because if you recall, he peed on his Grammys. Oh, that's right. Yes. I remember oh, that yeah, performance yeah. He art. He peed in a Grammy yes. for sure. Yeah, that was actually, I'll give him that. <laughs> <laughs> that that was, Aida was here for. That, that, was art. that was art. That was art. That's <laughs> when he became Urena Abramovich. Yes. Mm, nice one. U R I N E hyphen A was the yes, pun. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, we got it. We got it. <laughs> <Another> <laughs> pun. You should write for Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be something? Oh my God. Almost famous, except it's me like writing lyrics for him anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Since you brought it up, the Marilyn Manson and the baby of it all oh. is extra glaring because we're still in this niggas like Jesus phase. Everything is like the secular moment. That's the reason why we could have uh, Nicki Minaj's verse on New Body on this album. That would be such a misplaced track on this <laughs> album. <laughs> His mother dying from liposuction. <laughs> that would be so bad. But yes, yeah, there's, there's this thing that I think you're about to get to, Ira, where I feel as if Kanye is using grieving as a shield for reprehensible behavior Mm -hmm. and um i don't know i just i feel like there's this like impenetrable virtue layer on him because he's like i'm mourning still and i can do whatever i want and i can be a petulant kid about this i lost my mother um therefore i'm gonna invite the baby and marilyn manson to my my release parties yeah and put him on the album and unfortunately again the baby's on the song "Jail" Part Two, which is where, where he belongs. The same yeah. song. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same song. JC's on "Jail." Mm-hmm. God damn it! The <laughs> baby's verse was good. <laughs> Ira, no, no. It's better than Jay's verse. Ira, you are the gays we are trying to protect from the baby. Okay, you can't be out here supporting him. Um. I, I did like Jay-Z's verse, though, by the way. That's pretty crazy to say DaBaby's verse is better than his. I think it's really good. I think he goes off, unfortunately. Mm-mm. I like Jay's verse as well, <laughs> but DaBaby's verse does go off. Brave to put Marilyn Manson on the album, though, because correct me if I'm wrong, the man has zero fans. Sorry, <laughs> it's over, right? It's like being a fan of, like... Robert Blake or something like it's like wow that name <laughs> we've been through why you're shitty he's not Phil Spector okay <laughs> <laughs> there's no wall of sounds Phil actual Spector <laughs> if you're looking at the complexion yeah <laughs> yeah I think Marilyn is credited on jail and jail part two uh I don't know what he did on the um album at all uh, mostly because this album too, like uh, you have to dig deep to find the producer credits and who is actually featured on these damn songs. You have to know the voice. Because <laughs> it's, it's it's like a mystery. The one thing he does have in common with Taylor is they love mysteries. They love oh, yeah. yeah puzzles. <laughs> And having their fans decipher things. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's two faced and he's the Riddler. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Together they reign. If you don't have an extensive knowledge of the women that are that are featured on this, there are barely any women on this on this whole album. And we said this last time when we were talking about Donda that like I find it fundamentally strange. You got an album that's supposed to honor the life of your mother with very, very few women on it. And when the women are on it, they have like delirious chant tracks or background vocals. Like they're just secondary to the men who have usually bad verses on all the other songs. It will always go down in history that uh, as amazing as my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is, his best album, the most memorable moment on it is from Nicki Minaj. 
this Roman woman. Mm. I don't know whether it's backlash to that or whether it's the fact that um, Kanye is just a deeply misogynistic man, uh, which we've known for years. Uh, the lack of any of that on this album is jarring because it is dedicated to his mother and there's no care or femininity on this album whatsoever. It's very yeah. cold and all the songs do sort of rest in this one note. Good was the appropriate word. And there are a lot of very great moments on this album, which I think amounts to it just being good. It's not abysmal, like yay. Mm. Um, you know, so I think that I enjoy parts of it, but also it's just tiring listening to it. And it took me a minute to listen to it as well because I didn't feel the need to like jump on listening to it immediately the way that I normally would mm. one of his albums. I think he's just exhausting at this point yeah i think all of his good albums are totally behind him yeah yeah I, I get really sad thinking about what kanye could be for the culture right now and thinking about how this album is supposed to be centered around police violence and black women and instances of assault and that's what don does allegedly about this could have been a beautiful moment to do a tribute to Breonna Taylor or Sandra Bland or Toyin Salau or any of these women who have lost their lives in the past two years. Like, I just um, imagine what he could be doing if he weren't so concerned with, like, making gritty, grating sounds and dressing like a petrified Chia Pet. <laughs> like, he could be doing so much more. Uh, yeah, I think I'm particularly exhausted with how you're supposed to receive a Kanye West album because he obviously is just so madcap and his insanity the rest of the time the i mean like obviously he's gone through a lot of mental illness type hurdles which should be analyzed in the for what they are but then the album comes out and you're supposed to be in awe of his like jackson pollock-esque chaos mm. but it's like no but you literally are chaotic so i'm done indulging the chaotic part of you mm -hmm. please meet me more than halfway once you know br you know I, i'm not saying like contain your art make it extremely accessible but at the same time don't disrespect your audience. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's all constantly very chaotic. And like even the release of this and the fact that it's so damn long. And I don't know what we're supposed to do anymore, but, you know, just have the album come out and um, listen to it if you want. Take in the good songs. Make yourself a Spotify edit. And cut out the tracks you don't want to listen to. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely going to be doing that. It'll be Donda Ira's version. <laughs> Ira, Ira. <laughs> and speaking of exhaustively chaotic, I mean, that's what I do with Madonna albums nowadays. You, you take out five tracks you don't like, and then it mm -hmm. kind of turns into an album you may listen to. I mean, Ed, there's so many great producers and people on this. You know, I really love Jesus Lord with Swiss Beats and uh, Gasafelstein, uh, two producers I've loved for a minute. Uh, and Gasafelstein was on Yeezus as well. So um, I don't know. There's great moments. There's great production on it in certain points. But it's also like just to what end, you know? When you hear like a good sort of like produced moment, it's like mm -hmm. the rest of the content of it is um, not giving me anything. You know, I, I don't know what the album is saying. I don't know if he knows what it's saying. 
And all these damn features from these other rappers is like don't even contribute to like you know what the theme of the album should be. You know, they're just there. It felt very grab bag hip hop. Like, oh, little baby's popping. Let me put him on the album. Baby Keem is popping. Let me put him on the album without any real thought about what these artists could bring to the songs. Like, it doesn't even feel right listening to some of them on these tracks. Yeah, yeah. The weekends on it, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. the weekends on it, just because I feel like the weekend has to be on an album. <laughs> 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 what, what album was The weekend on? You know? Were you uh, pleased with the sort of um, symmetry with the fact that Selena Johnson was on All Falls Down and, and so there was a sample of Lauren Hill and now that's back too? I listen, I love oh, the yeah. Lauren Hill sample. Yeah, mm-hmm. that song's a standout. Yeah, I love the, I love the J-Lo sample. I'm kidding, I know that's not a J-Lo song. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's also a moment where um, the song sampled on Jenny from the Block appears too on the album. Uh, so, mm. What a Becky yeah. G move. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remind me of Becky G. <laughs> <laughs> that J-Lo cameo at the end, I mean, people should have been apprehended anyway. Remember when Becky G was on Empire? Remember when she was a Power Ranger? Yeah. I think that's all there is to remember about Becky G. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I, I think we I think we covered everything. <laughs> Becky from the block. She also had a uh, Beach by Dre personalized headphones the same year that I had personalized Keep It headphones. Mm. So <laughs> never mind. Thank you, Becky G. Okay. Yeah. So. Leave her alone, guys. She had like a 2014 feature in Latina Times. Can you just let her be the star that she is? <laughs> Lastly, it doesn't seem like Kanye is ever going to really, like you said, Aida, um, have another good album. I feel like the best, the amazing ones are really just far behind him because there's no, mm-hmm. there's no editing going on. There's no critical yeah. response to his work that he seems to invite um, or that anyone who works with him wants to say. People in the industry will say what they want about him, but then people are plenty excited to hop on a Kanye album, even if it's going to maybe not even end up on the album or he'll cut you from it and it'll appear later. You know, It's like, I mm-hmm. don't understand the need to be involved in all of that. You know, um, but I also can't imagine what people are talking to this man about in the studio, you know? Totally. No, I can't imagine having a conversation with this man. I can't imagine showing up in a damn wedding dress to his thing when you're in the midst of a Mm -mm. divorce. It's messy. You know he put it in a contract when they got married. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere in the contract. Kanye is world of wonder. Uh, and Kim is like the drag queens. Uh, Kim has Sim has six more contracted appearances yeah. <laughs> and projects of it. I think kind of like lastly, there's this wave of black people. I think most black people still have a constant apologetic opinion about Kanye and will always allow him to do whatever he wants and hope that there will be redemption. I hope that that ends right here with Donda, but I'm already overhearing people being... It won't. I'm already overhearing people being like, you know, well, he's aligning himself with villains so he can show that he can redeem himself later along the line. That's like human. It's very human of him. I just don't have time for that bullshit either. I don't have time for none of (laughs) y'all. Why'd you have to read the tweets from my secret account? I get get emails. I get emails when you tweet. It goes right to me. He clearly is also the Rumpelstiltskin of pop culture anyway. This bitch will be popping back up with new promises and (laughs) new (laughs) spells in the future anyway, so you don't have to apologize for anything. (laughs) 
Uh, did you? Was there any part of the album that you did like Aida? Um, I loved the the way the final track came to an end. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I made it. Uh, That's some Pauline Kael, Dorothy Parker shit right uh, there. Yeah. You know, someone listen, uh, someone had to like the album. Okay. I'm glad you guys did. I'm glad we don't always agree. That's the beauty of this ecosystem. Well, you know, a, a conversation needs conflict. Aida, you know? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Who knows? Okay. Am I lying? Do I just want to be a foil? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just like it's just like kayfabe and wrestling, all right? You got you to gotta make people believe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that there's conflict, okay? Yeah, well, being a celebrity is a performance, as Kanye showed us. Is this Bravo? Do I actually like the album? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Were we assigned opinions? Uh, no, I actually really do like that song. No child left behind that last song. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hate. I hated that. Yeah. You know, it's the 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 chants <laughs> feel like listening to um, the Calm app at a certain point, and parts of the album are very soothing. So okay, you can listen to Leona Lewis in the jungles of South Africa, or you can listen to <laughs> Kanye West. Dada. <laughs> <laughs> it's your choice. That was a reference to the call map and our own ads for the call map. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, we're back. Aida takes a nap. Uh, <laughs> and Mini Driver joins us with Sydney Washington. Uh, we'll be right back. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Our guest today is a Oscar, Emmy, and Critics' Choice Award nominee. You might know her from Goodwill Hunting, Phantom of the Opera, or Will and Grace. And you can catch her in the new season of Modern Love, the upcoming Cinderella, or 
her podcast, Mini Questions. Please welcome the wonderful Mini Driver. Yay. Yay. <laughs> it's like the Olympics, no audience. <laughs> <laughs> A somber silence for Mini Driver. No, exactly. yes. Like what are you supposed to say? Yay, Mini Driver. Crickets. <laughs> I'm like, should I clap? I was like, snappy. Exactly. What are we supposed to do? How do we celebrate things now where we're not really encouraged to celebrate en masse? It's quite interesting. Our silent responses. We have to have like cerebral moments of celebration. It's very Kafka-esque now. Yeah. We're just lost in our heads and that's how we celebrate. Yeah, it's all just one giant pause. <laughs> As a New Yorker, we don't really celebrate. We just are very smug. So, you know, we're celebrating on the inside. With all due respect, I wonder if that came from the British. Just that smugness that that came over with all of the people that wanted to leave to find religious freedom, ha ha, <laughs> elsewhere. Um, that they brought with them a certain smugness from the British Isles, which has, you know, been enjoyed by New Yorkers, because we're the same. We don't really celebrate. I believe that. My theory is that all British celebrities, <laughs> even the ones whose jobs don't have anything to do with this, are funny. Again, like, why is Robert Pattinson funny? Like, he doesn't have to be. It bothers me. Funny. He does an interview and I enjoy him. I know. You know, I, I've laughed at you like four times today and not one of them was fake. You know what I'm saying? So. <laughs> Minnie, you came in hot. You definitely came in hot. I was like, okay, yeah. she's ready. She's ready to go. I'm not joking. I literally leapt out of bed and I was like to my boyfriend, I was like, I don't know anything about cultural politics. What the fuck is going on in the world? And he was like, okay, everybody's watching White Lotus and um, <laughs> we'll talk about Matt. Damon. <laughs> yes. Obsessed uh, with, the, with the boyfriend. He's uh, heaven. Wow. He's heaven. He was just like, he was looking stuff up. He was like, I think maybe you should talk about this or like, don't, this is interesting. And I'm trying to make the coffee and like mm. put clothes on. I mean, I'm obviously naked from the waist down, but it's <laughs> all of us. All of us. I mean, yeah. I'm obsessed as well because when we met Vinny at the Zola party, I met you and your boyfriend, and I was like, "All right, so now you're just Mini Driver. You're already the icon, and now you just have a gorgeous man as well." I know. So, all He's mad proper. at you today. He's proper. <laughs> He's properly gorgeous and clever, kind. Like, but listen, listen. I kissed a lot of frogs to get to this amazing person. Mm. Like really, you know, I'm I'm old. I mean, I know I look amazing. Really, mm -hmm. <laughs> sure, Surely. sure. I'm old. I, I've been I've been through it. It took me a really long time to find this this incredible person. I'm happy. I'm happy and grateful. So that's that's good. I'm glad you met him. Ira. Yeah. Because he is gorgeous. And he can throw together a spreadsheet on contemporary culture in like 30 seconds flat. My God. Yeah, pretty much. He makes documentaries in like places of conflict and very difficult to. And it's extraordinary that this white man can cross the border from Morocco into Libya. You know, he'll be under surveillance, but he has this remarkable ability to kind of assimilate information, synthesize it, and put it out in a calm and concise way that isn't really challenging to anybody and can be understood by everyone. He's a bit of a weird robot. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. That's the dream description. I would love to be a, like a, a weird robot, a member of the group Kraftwerk. Yes, that's what I want. Hot weird robot. That's... Yeah. <laughs> He'd like that too. He'd like that, Monica. Oh, Wait, can yeah. I throw in one thing? Minnie, I saw you at Larry Owen's show at Sondheim show at 54 Below. Was your Were boyfriend you there? there? 
Yeah, with no, your boyfriend there. No, I was, okay. I was soloing that. Oh my God, you were there. I was there. How absolutely incredible was that show? Incredible. And I just, I just yeah. threw that out there because I wanted to be like oh. um, Ira who kept mentioning the Zola party that I was not at. So <laughs> I was like, I'm out here too, Ira. <laughs> I'm going out too, Ira. I'm going. <laughs> I'm invited to things. I mean, I'm jealous of I'm jealous of that because Larry Owens I adore and him singing Sondheim. I have not seen a Larry Owens show since Strange Loop. And Get it together. I miss Get it. it. Together. He was the joy that we all needed. I mean, that was the first time I'd sat in a kind of theatrical space and watched, you know, in 17 months. Mm-hmm. That was the right way. That was the right reentry. Mm. It was cool. Minnie, I just have to say, looking through just everything you've done, you're filmography tvography etc is filled with such gems over the weekend i was at a party in chicago and i was somebody just asked me what my job was and i said well i host a podcast on the side and i said many drivers coming on this week and somebody who did not yet speak in the conversation like a a gay on the outside of the room like a a scared person (laughs) comes in and goes you have to talk about the riches one of the greatest shows Mm. they literally just presented themselves to bring this information to me. And that show is fucking fabulous. And I hope you're especially proud of that. I know. That show was one of my all-time favorite creative experiences. And it was so ahead of the curve. It was like the first dramatic show that FX put on. You know, they just were like a movie channel, right? So it was their first dramatic programming. It was before Sons of Anarchy. And it was completely amazing. But it's like television wasn't quite ready for it. And then when the writer's strike happened... Fox basically needed to punish people who had been extraordinarily vocal in that strike. And our showrunner and writers had really been at the forefront of that fight for their guild. And heads needed to roll. Like it was just, it was weirdly Shakespearean. It was like, kill this beautiful thing um, because something needs to die (laughs) to pay for the trouble you've caused us. And me and Eddie and Shannon Woodward and Dimitri Lipkin got together to talk about how we could maybe do another season or a standalone series or maybe a movie. And I really hope that happens because I loved it. Identity is really interesting. Also, the podcast, Mini Questions. I want to ask how this came about, how you were like, you know what? I want to jump up in this audio game. It was a COVID baby, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Like representatives who are now sitting around at home, not like in their big offices in Beverly Hills. This is like, mm, who have we got who's educated? Who have we got who could like maybe do something else and what could they do? So I had these really amazing conversations with the people that represent me about kind of creative expansion and is that books and what is that? And it was turned out to be quite a few things. And the podcast, which was one idea, it was like, if you were gonna do a podcast, what would you do? Or what kind of, we talked about what kind of podcast I'd like to listen to. And Mm -hmm. while I'm not scared of a ramble, as you can probably tell, I really like the idea of doing a podcast that had this constraint on it. The idea of the same seven questions being asked to a variety of different people and how within that conceit or that constraint, what you would get out of it. Mm -hmm. And I then was thinking about Proust's questionnaire, which was this, you know, parlor game from the 19th century that Marcel Proust created just sort of for fun. And it's kind of psychological and it's interesting and it's revealing. So I just wrote my own, I wrote my own questions and then started calling up people that I knew and then other people I didn't know, but would like to. And it's been so strangely connected during this COVID time. 
creating some sort of, it's a bit lofty to say it, but like a cultural anthology about what interesting people think about the same set of circumstances and how we can all answer them and it will all probably be different. The uh, questions that Minnie is talking about, there's a, an adapted version of it that James Lipton would use on Inside the Actors Studio. If you ever watch the end of Inside the Actors Studio, he asks like the same questions again and again. Yes. But among the questions you ask, what's your favorite one? I actually really like the last question that I ask is, uh, what in your life has grown out of a personal disaster? Mm. It speaks to the sort of fundament of being alive, really, is that it's definitely not all roses. And more often than not, your life is what is coming out of the upset. It's the things not working that you really pay attention to. You know, we all sort of take for granted when everything's bobbing along nicely. And actually, they describe, they're the ellipses in our life, the the hard, terrible things that happen. And I'm really interested in what grows out of that for people. And it's so revealing. When I asked Alan Cumming that question, um, he paused and he was like, well, sort of my entire life has grown out of a disaster, which was, I think, my being born. <laughs> yeah. it was a lot of us thrive in chaos. So anything that's a disaster, I'm coming out on top for sure. Right. Or it's like, what do you grab with you to make it through the chaos? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's really defining of, of your character and like who you are, like how you stumble through the shit, you know, because that's pretty much all we're doing. I feel like that's every day because mm -hmm. I feel like my personal yeah. chaos is being on time for anything. <laughs> so hard. It's so hard, Ira. I hear you. I relate. <laughs> uh, that'll be the reason Lewis kills me someday. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in your sleep, because you slept in and are late. It'll be, where is, I'm, I'm going to his place. I'm just going to shoot him right now. <laughs> um, touching on what you were saying, too, about connecting with people, I feel like, you know, we've done this podcast for, like, Lewis and I for, like, four years now, almost, and... One of the wildest things is like, yes, at first we were inviting on people who we knew, and then it's like, yes, people you'd like to meet, and just the nature of having conversations with someone on a podcast, people do get a bit more revealing, or you do get to see a part of someone's personality that they haven't normally shown the public, and I feel like the unexpected people we've had very great conversations with, and then some people after it it's like they still stay in contact with you because they're like i love that conversation with you it's like you met at a party almost that is exactly right it's forging new friendships or at least in having this touchstone exactly it's like you had you sort of had a moment together there's definitely been people that i thought that we had a moment but they definitely did not and are not returning my text <laughs> but you know what i don't need them <laughs> that does make me wonder if like Joan Didion is you know texting Terry Gross every once in a while like do you have five minutes I need to cry <laughs> <laughs> Terry 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 it's Joni yeah. uh, I can't imagine yeah. Joan Didion texting no, oh no absolutely not uh, she, the contempt for the texting I can just picture it <laughs> the, her long face looking at a phone Yeah. tell us a bit about doing the Cinderella remake yeah I got to know all about this i mean the cast alone is intriguing it was very fun well we started shooting in like january of 2020 and then i shot a bit and then everything shut down and then we picked it up again in august of 
2020 when everything, not everything, but things were opening up. We didn't realize the winter of massive discontent was about to come and <laughs> we managed to finish it. So, I mean, it was a proper COVID movie. It was shot entirely in 2020, which is insane and crazy thinking about it now. And also like something that was so joyful that there was just this underlying hum of menace of COVID, you know, on the set. There you are in the most beautiful dresses, singing and dancing, but you're looking around at an entire crew who's probably just thinking about the moisture particles in the air as you're like singing Gloria Estefan. Like it's really, I felt it was weird. It was, it was strange, but also wonderful. Camilla Cabello, Billy Porter, you know, they're, they're, they are magic. They are proper magic. She's really something else. She's really like, um, she's a really good person, mm. which is my fundamental desire. I actually don't even really care if you're that talented. If I'm working with you, I just want you to be nice. Mm. And she's both. So. Oh, yeah. I think, do you love a musical? Yeah. Really? I mean, I, um, I it's much to be said about um, the Phantom of the Opera, Joel Schumacher's. Um, oh, of course. Yes. Tour de Force. Uh, but you were always just my favorite part of that film. Oh, Ira. I love Carlotta, you know? So it's like, it's, it's what a role. Joel said after we watched the film together, he was like, oh, honey, he's like, I think you're in a completely different movie. I think I want to be watching the movie that you're in. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's what, what I mean. You you're in a completely different movie. And I was like, I know. I said, like, well, there wasn't really much of a part on the page. So I just sort of had to make it up. It was mostly hats and an accent. <laughs> That's, that which, does not stop Helena. No, so just, just let me tell you something. You can do a lot with very little. Like that's what I've learned, particularly as a woman in this business. You will always be given less to do more with, and you should really have a fucking good time doing it. Is there an acting role you've particularly relished for what you've got to springboard into with it that wasn't particularly there on the page? Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, when they published the script, the printed version of the script, they published the one that they wrote. And it's really interesting if you read that while watching the film and you can really see how much was improvised and how much was devised by different actors, by Robin, by me on the set. And I feel like that role, I could only expand it because the fundament of it was really, really good, mm -hmm. but it definitely needed life being breathed into it. I mean, these were very young men writing a complicated girl. I don't think they knew. <laughs> What they had written, which was the great cornerstones of that character, were a brilliant framework to kind of build out from. Mm -hmm. um, and the same was true, I think, in Gross Point Blank. We improvised hugely on that film. Mm. I love hearing you talk about that movie. I saw some red carpet interview once where someone was like, oh, I hope Gross Point Blank means something to you. And you, were Point Blank, were like, that is one of the best things I've ever done. It like, is it's my such favorite a special, It's such a special movie. And I, I love John Cusack, like... I don't know when we're going to get that AFI lifetime achievement, whatever, but there should be like a retrospective of how good he's been consistently in films. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's a brilliant, varied, unique actor. Mm. It's strange to be an actor and a movie star. I say that a lot. Like, it's quite rare mm. to be a really good actor and also be a movie star, and I think he is one of them. Yeah, Paul Newman is not a common species. You know, there's like, there's like oh. four of those altogether. <laughs> yeah, or like a Robert Redford. You know, there's the, mm -hmm. the guys that are just, they hold that space. I think that you have accomplished both, many. Um, we stand. Oh, oh, you're so kind. Thank you. Oh, my God. Last question, though. Who from Good World Hunting do you still talk to? Um... If anyone, <laughs> the if deepest, anyone, um, was you, would you see them last <laughs> no okay to be fair i did see matt damon on the beach and i had not had a conversation with him 
seriously, since we made the film, mm -hmm. I have not like had a conversation. And that was last summer. And it was actually very nice to see him and like his kids and his wife. And it all felt quite, it all felt quite middle-aged actually, which was mm. reassuring. Um, <laughs> as I, I feel like so much of the folly of youth went on with our initial relationship. Like it was amazing and tabloidy. So that was nice just to have a sort of middle-aged conversation about the weather and stuff. I'm always happy to see Gus Van Sant. I'm always happy to see Stellan Skarsgård. I was always in touch with Robin before he died. Um, mm -hmm. They died, you know, yeah. Elliot died. Yeah. Jean-Yves Escoffier, the cinematographer, died. Like, Robin's gone. Like, it's, it's a bit of a moment. I never run into Ben, really. But I'm glad he looks happy. Well, he's on the boat with J Lo. Yeah, I'm he's like on he's, he's on a yacht. He's on a yacht. <laughs> so no one's running into him. Yeah, he's yeah. except J Lo. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a 10 second right, window right. at Dunkin' Donuts. You have a chance, but otherwise, yeah. That is all. Well, just be happy. Find your bliss. I mean. Yeah, she looks like bliss to me. So you know. Truly, yeah, you're onto I, something. I think that must be one of the. I mean real joys of being an entertainer you know you um make all these projects with so many different people and you're all from like different worlds and then years later when you're thinking back on that film and you think of what everyone's doing it's just like everyone's careers and lives just going in different directions but you all have this one thing that you can rewatch and be like that's where we were at that point i know that's the thing it's these frozen moments you can't get away from those particularly if they were an inflection point in your life and if they're an inflection point culturally like you don't get to make many movies you, i mean hardly anyone gets to make films like goodwill hunting that become iconic movies like it's still weird to me it's, i still can't quite believe that it's me in it or a version of me but it is <laughs> <laughs> well thank you thank you for being here you guys thank you Ari. What a thank pleasure. you sydney thank you Louis. Yes. i appreciate it it was so nice to talk to you here's to the paper pushers the rush hour warriors and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat French fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Last week, writer and Criterion Collection strategist Maya Cade released a passion project that has been percolating since June of 2020, much like Donda. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not in the archive yet, notably. Yes. Uh, the Black Film Archive. The goal was to list every black film made between 1950 to 1979 that is currently streaming. It's a great list. Yes, and also, <laughs> I mean, let's talk about what you mean when you say black films. All the films collected on the Black Archive have something significant to say about the black experience, speak to black audiences, and or have a black star, writer, producer, or director. This criterion is, for selection is as broad and inclusive as possible, allowing the site to cover the widest range of what a black film can be. I'm very glad that Maya made this list. Um, because mm -hmm. as we all know, salt speaks to me as a black person. Sure. <laughs> and probably would have been on my black film archive, but 
I think that this criteria works. Not you arguing how Angelina Jolie is a light-skinned woman. Look at those lips. <laughs> Figuring out Look a way. Look at those lips. Figuring out a way. Okay? Maybe the sequel will make the list. Who knows? Yeah, the kinky mm-hmm. hair that she has... Come on. Yeah, it's a four a four C. After she's running around after a while, it gets all curly. The one question I would have about the project, however, is um knowing what was left off because it didn't make the criteria and what was left off because it's just not streaming. Right. Mm. Yeah, well, let's ask her to do a supplementary list. Mm-hmm. The black film unarchived. <laughs> uh, I was interested to find uh in the frequently asked questions part of this website that the List of films ends at 1979, and the reason is the commercial failure of the movie The Wiz, which I was going to talk about anyway in regards to this collection, Hmm. sort of allowed filmmakers to put black-led movies aside for that time, and that's when independent filmmaking for black filmmakers emerged, really. So that's the last film in the archive. 1979 is when uh, the movies stop. Mm. I personally understand the like historical reason of why she decided to stop there but i would have loved for her to continue to go on to the 90s and 80s so that we could also get a a wider breadth of understanding i love that maya made this i'm so happy i think it's going to help especially start young filmmakers and young writers like myself's foray into black films that i haven't necessarily exposed myself to but um i know you gave us a lot girl but i want more (laughs) i want more black woman i want more well, she can keep adding to it and deleting from it, just like um, she will. Kanye is. She so. should. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Shaft was on here. Well, I'm thinking of Donda as the um, black rapper archive. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I love that. Adding and deleting rappers yeah. at will. But uh, we all looked at the list and um, I think picked a few of our... Um, favorite films that we have enjoyed that we wanted to point out. Uh, mm-hmm. But you should also just try and pour through the entire list as well. Because yeah. there's definitely stuff you haven't seen, uh, almost assuredly. There's definitely stuff I haven't seen. It's a good um, uh, sort of syllabus mm-hmm. for digging into black film history. This just starts in 1915, you know? So yes. I'm not even watching white films from 1915. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> D.W. Griffith, I can barely handle Rachel you Griffith. Yes, right. See... Uh, <laughs> What about Griff? I love you, Lewis. (laughs) Griffiths, by Uh, the way. Uh, I want to first bring up probably one of the most famous movies in the collection, which is Carmen Jones, which is from uh, 1954. It's the uh, musical adaptation of Bizet's Carmen with uh, lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein. But it stars Dorothy Dandridge, who, if you know that name, one, you probably either know this movie or you know that Halle Berry played her in a TV movie in the early 2000s, around the time she got her Oscar. And a couple things about this movie. One, even though her singing is dubbed in this movie because it's operatic singing somewhat, uh, and so is Harry Belafonte's singing is dubbed. They thought he wasn't a good enough singer in this movie, and so they got somebody else to do it. Guys, what the hell? Anyway, um, it is... (laughs) A real joy of a movie, and she gives a sleigh performance. First of all, this character comes on screen, Carmen, dressed, you know, like sultry, enticing Carmen. And I, for a moment, think I am watching the horniest character who has ever been on screen. Just fully, like, walking into, uh, she works at the parachute factory, and she's um, ensnaring men and wears, like, jewelry that makes you think she's a temptress and all this stuff. But then the movie gets deeper, and who else is added to the cast? 
Pearl Bailey, who we have not enough education about as a society anymore. Pearl Bailey, who I think most people know uh, from her turn in Hello, Dolly, a little bit later in her career, uh, gives a such a saucy performance here and sometimes looks so much like Queen Latifah. It is absolutely shocking, and I can't believe we haven't had that biopic performance yet. Though, of course, Queen Latifah has already given us Bessie Smith. Maybe she's tired of that. I don't know. She's like, I don't want to be a matron ever again. Yeah, right. <laughs> but guys, this is a musical movie that is also, for an older musical, pretty concise. It's like an hour and 40 minutes. You really should dig into it and see that Dorothy Dandridge, who died at 42 of an embolism, but there's some mystery around uh, her death, uh, was a real find and really a really uh, dynamite performer. The thing I think about with Carmen Jones often is that James Baldwin did not like this movie. Right. <laughs> mm. yeah. In notes on a, uh, his essay in Notes on a Native Son, uh, basically argues that the film tries to make a case for the fact that black people aren't amoral. Um, you know, to make them human to white people, but the mm. answer is that the black characters are. Um, basically written as white people. Mm. Oh. He also said it was badly sung. That's interesting. <laughs> the entire movie. Said, Most importantly, <laughs> I have choir notes. Uh, and he said the lyrics are crude and vulgar in a way that is not characteristic of black people at the time. But he did love um, Pearl Bailey um, because she seemed to have a sense of disdain in... Um, the film for the film itself and that Dorothy Dandridge looked silly next to Pearl Bailey. <laughs> silly is a good insult. Yeah. <laughs> and then basically the dialogue also like doesn't sound like how black people actually spoke at the time. You're not saying you're saying mm -hmm. Oscar Hammerstein didn't have a handle on the vernacular. <laughs> I'm simply blown away. <laughs> the man who gave us the sound of music. Uh, but also of course uh, she was the first black best actress nominee and she lost to Grace Kelly and the Country Girl, and that's, of course, a famous race because she beat Judy Garland in A Star is Born, which, any way you look at it, is some bullshit. So it, it was the original Emma Stone winning for La La Land against Natalie Portman and uh, Isabelle Huppert, to reference an earlier conversation. And then, as I mentioned earlier, uh, The Wiz is on this list. And I first, ease on down the road, one of the great musical songs ever. But also, guys, that subway station scene where, like, the garbage can's coming after Dorothy is some scary fucking shit. It's just not right. As in, there are some <laughs> scenes, it, it's, you know, like how, uh, uh, what's his name? The Christopher Lloyd character in Who Framed Roger Rabbit is simply too scary. There are some movies for kids where something happens and accidentally it's three layers too scary. This is one of those movies, but you should see it to be terrified <laughs> along with me because I need more commiseration about this fucking scene that still stays with me. I love <laughs> The Wiz. I think that... Um... Sidney Lumet did, did the thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, the cast is shocking. Diana and Michael Jackson, you know, skipping along in quote-unquote urban-themed yellow brick road. A lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't shock me that it flopped, though. <laughs> right. Uh, it's such a weird film. It's also so gloomy in a way, too. It's very rare for a musical in that it has a kind of overcast feeling about it. Yeah. Uh, and the original Wizard of Oz is, you know, sort of like bright um, and colorful, you know, obviously like it starts in black and white and then it moves into Technicolor. Uh, and this doesn't do that. It's, it sort of moves from New York City into a just sort of grimy um, city. Um, and so and the whole thing sort of feels sort of like muted and one sort of color. Um, muted but, is exactly right. Yes. But I love the music. Uh, in the Wiz, and um, 
I think the show is really fun. Of course, Home from The Wiz, one of the great songs. And rather importantly, when Whitney Houston made her, I think, debut on American television, she sang Home. And we sort of were under the impression she would be a Broadway-type belter at first, at the beginning of her career. She must have been 19 or something. I believe she was introduced by Clive Davis for the clip I'm thinking about. Uh, and then her first album took off. And I just want to say, this is completely off topic now, Thinking About You from that album is so good, and no one ever talks about that Whitney Houston song. <laughs> but now we said it. Right. Okay, you got to listen to that right now. I miss, I miss when music sounded like that, that kind of R&B slash pop. I guess what became New Jack Swing. Maybe they can listen to it after they listen to this episode, though. Okay, great. Good. Mm, yeah. Right. Don't turn Let's off the podcast. <laughs> Don't pause those. and go and think you'll yeah. come back. You're going to forget. Just stay We got to keep those retention rates, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> we've, been look, we've been looking at graphs recently, so this is very important to us. Um, scatter plots, what have you. <laughs> wow, I missed the word scatter plots. I missed scatter plots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, Miss Ebersole, she hated me. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, I grabbed a collection of... um. Crime films, because uh, I love crime. Yeah, and just moral decadence. Go ahead. Yes. What'd you pick? Fido, uh, I picked uh, like Coffee, Shaft, Foxy Brown, um, Super Oh, you crime. have an era. You have an era yeah. you like. I love like the blast rotation genre. You know? Mm. like I, I think that the, like, the, the 70s were like a really good um, time for black film to be honest, and um, seeing just sort of like these types of larger-than-life characters who are usually, you know, like um, like Coffee, who's Pam Greer, who who's love. a nurse, but then by night she's fighting criminals that got her sister addicted to drugs. You know, it's a lot of like lurid crime films like about like the seedy underbelly of the drug world, but it also has like usually someone like um, going full vigilante and protecting their community. Uh, and I, I find those films kind of fun. I like Coffee. I like Shaft with Richard Roundtree. Still, maybe the best. We've had a lot of had a lot of very bad Shaft films. Oh, uh, <laughs> over the, the years, wake, yeah. over the years. Like, Sometimes I forget we had a Shaft movie. What three years ago? Two years yeah. ago? Yeah. The most recent one is unfortunate uh, and slightly homophobic. Uh, but um. I really like Richard Roundtree in that film. Um, I also love um, Superfly, which I think most people um, know because of the soundtrack. Mr. Curtis Mayfield, yes. Yeah. Uh, all these films always have like the best music in them. Oh yeah! Like whatever you think about the <laughs> black exploitation genre, and you know, like a lot of them were films you know made by um, black people, but a lot of them were also films made by white people. And it was you could say that it was giving you a interpretation of blackness to America that wasn't how we should have been presenting ourselves in the 70s. You know, it's right. It wasn't like, res respectability politics yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. not mm -hmm. that, but goddamn, some of the best music. And costumes. Um, you've ever heard, and costumes were, were mm -hmm. all in these projects. And that's for me when the era of black movies gets to be watchable as far as the coloring. I don't know why I can't do a black and white film. I don't know if it's the, the stupid 90s child in me. I just have such a hard time. So when we get to that era, I see. I feel like the sheen and the wash on it, literally the afro sheen, mm -hmm. is beautiful and fun and easy to watch. And the last other black exploitation film I picked was Ganja in Hess, which is a Bill Gunn 
horror film. Oh, I don't know anything about this. What is it? It's an experimental 1973 horror film um, written and directed by Bill Gunn, uh, who's also in that independent film that I talked about last year, Losing Ground. Mm. And uh, it's just about a man who becomes a vampire after his um, assistant stabs him with a cursed dagger. Mm. Uh, So it's sort of giving you like the Dracula story, um, but it's very, you know, like, Black exploitation vibes. So it's a really fun movie. I also watched Ganja and Hess for the first time last year during um, the early days of the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Aww. Remember when we were like productive during the pandemic? I was like, I'm going to watch 15 movies a week. And then I, <laughs> I did and learn a lot, and I have no other skills left. I have no social skills. <laughs> I have no <laughs> comprehension skills. Like, but I can analyze the shit out of a movie. <laughs> and now I pass out trying to watch a movie. Well, that's, <laughs> that's okay. I wasn't giving you a lot. You're like, um, but, yeah, think- I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> the archive oh, yeah. is gonna is is reawakening my desire to start watching content again. I mean, of course, I've been watching TV and going through. I watched the Girlfriend Experience because you mentioned it recently on the podcast, Lewis. And boy, oh boy, do I have a lot to say. But that is a show about a white woman, so let me get to the black part. <laughs> I had seen only a small portion of the movies on the archive, and I wanted to find because lately I've been really interested in African and diaspora storylines, and I was wanted to see if there's anything on there that included that. And I also have to tell everyone in the audience <laughs> to join me in my my descent into being an insufferable film nerd mm. uh, by getting Criterion, because you need to have Criterion to watch a lot of these things that are streaming. I watched two short films that I really, really enjoyed. Well, the first one is called Tao, and it follows the life of like a young Senegalese man by the name of Tao as he matures into adulthood. And it is a f- short film by Usman Sembene, who is also, of course, an African director and filmmaker. And it's set in Dakar, right, in in 1970s Senegal. And I've never, it's just such a beautiful film. The city looks pastoral and elegant and like all the deep, rich skin colors of all the African people against the sand and the mountains. It's breathtaking. Like you're just constantly watching what seems like just beautiful portrait work. And the movie goes back and forth between Wolof, the Senegalese language, and French. Of course, it's subtitles, so girls, get your reading glasses out. But it's it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful film. And the second one that I watched kind of accidentally felt like the flip side to Tao because there's moments in Tao where because it is set in 1970s Africa, all of the conflict is dire. It's life or death. It's I can't eat. I need to find food. And I'm I'm finding, too, that I enjoy stories that have those level of consequences. It's giving... um, Willa Cather. It's giving mm. it's giving high stress. It's giving for me, I just enjoy the storylines that can come out of that because sometimes like in this in, in Tao, the main character denies his own child because he knows that he can't afford to be a father. And like you're just not gonna get that in a modern movie. <laughs> the level the level of need and necessity isn't there as it would be with like a colonial African film. Um, but the second thing I watched was Diary of an African Nun, not Diary of a Mad Black Woman, but it is essentially the same thing. <laughs> um, it's also on Criterion. It is uh, the short film that is made by Julie Dash, and um, also mm, it's Daughters it's, of the Dust. Daughters mm-hmm, of the Dust. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is her work before Daughters of the Dust, and you can tell there's a lot of like she's creating a lot of the beginnings of mm. the like very intense shots of black women that she uses in that film as well. But it's based off an Alice Walker short film. Shouts out Alice Walker. Pulitzer Prize winner, baddie, legend. We love her. Um, But it's the story of a Ugandan nun as she kind of sits in her room, locked alone in her little hut, 
Uh, it's giving Brie Larson in, um, well, The Room. <laughs> she- <laughs> <laughs> no, it's giving and Brie Larson she- in general. Brie Larson just yeah, sits at home. <laughs> locked up like a, like a cherub for some reason. And it's this woman as she, you know, analyzes her relationship with Christ and she like laments what it feels like to be living under white colonialism in Africa, but also wanting to live amongst her people who are the natives. And it's just heartbreaking and beautiful and the shots of of the of the lead are breathtaking as well i just think that those are two beautiful films for young black people to watch everyone really but especially those who are interested in old african stories when you Mm. said it stars a senegalese man named i immediately thought you were going to say akon i was like oh it's a movie starring akon nope it's not (laughs) anyway it's uh starring coney from Coney 2012. <laughs> oh, <good Lord>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, I also neglected to mention that uh, Gaja and Hus was remade um, in 2014 um, by Spike Lee. It's that film, The Sweet Blood of Jesus. <gasps> no! It's also one of Spike's worst films. <laughs> so avoid that and watch the original film. But there's a lot to browse. My God, you can go there and just... Mm-hmm. It, it's a dang library. Yeah. Also, all of this black film archive made me think, God, I wish Hype Williams would have made more films. God, I wish we didn't scare him away with whatever the response was to Belly because I feel like I feel like I miss him. <laughs> so to Hype Williams with love. Come back. Uh, I mean, I think that and also this archive ending at 79 after The Wiz is just a um, constant note that, um, you know, when a black film doesn't do well in Hollywood, they're like, let's stop making some, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, speaking of um, Julie Dash and like what she directed, Daughters of the Dust, and was like that first black woman to have directed um, a film uh, for a studio. We're now with Candyman being number one at the box office, and it's the mm. first number mm-hmm. one by a black woman at the box office. Wow! The black film archive is incredibly necessary to immerse yourself in. You know, culture and um, films that have existed for quite some time. Black people have been making films that are fantastic for decades. Um, But now there's a place where you can look and find out how you can access them. I mean, really just check out some of those earlier, like, fucking um, short films and, like, the silent ones, too. The level of intellect silent film <laughs> am i just out of my depth here <laughs> yeah i watched like a very good short film uh with someone dressed as a, in a devil costume um so check those out <laughs> girl just say the donda music video unreleased <laughs> that you watched <laughs> i love those scary ass movies from the 1910s and 20s where it's about like death has a mirror face and he passed into the room anyway people were <laughs> fucked up then <laughs> yeah 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 well, I feel like that's when the short story was like having a heyday and it was okay to explore themes like that. So putting it in short films is a lot more acceptable. Yeah. Now all we get is hair love. <laughs> 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 love you, Matthew and <laughs> The Oscar winning hair love? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The one that empowered black young women across the country? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> also Angelina Jolie. Okay. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, I taught her, taught her how, how to do her child's hair. Her young yeah. Ethiopian child's hair. It did. That's what hair love is actually about. Taking lives. She's giving black life. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That's actually what um, hair love is about. It's about Angelina's journey to yeah, the, uh, doing her black daughter's hair. Uh, all right. <laughs> We're back. Keep it. 
back with our favorite segment of the episode as usual it is keep it what are we doing y'all aida my keep it you're gonna week. go last you're gonna go last it's I'm your final last. keep it it's your final okay, keep send it send me away yeah farewell so, um farewell to aida i'm gonna go first okay my keep it is to Lil Nas X. Oh no! It's time. I just got so excited. What do you have to say? <laughs> I've been waiting. I can't believe you would go against our ally like this. Anyway, go ahead. Ugh. My keep it is to him being upset at the response to um, Tony Hawk's skateboards with blood in them. Okay. Uh, Tony Hawk's releasing skateboards with blood, and um. He had some tweets about how maybe people were only just upset because a black queer man was selling um, sneakers um, with blood in them. And there wasn't this upset response to um, Tony Hawk. Uh, And then other fans tried to point out the time that, um, you know, like Lady Gaga had like some blood and semen um, perfume that she was selling. Great. um, Which I don't even want to think about that. But I want Perfect to, for work. Go ahead. I, right? Uh, I want to point yeah. out that Lil Nas S is being obtuse mm. uh, and sort of like using a false equivalence lead to get his young fans upset and on his side. And also to what end? Because the controversy already happened with your sneaker anyway. And two, you know damn well the reason people were mad at that was because you also mixed it with like Christian um, imagery and like the 666. Yeah. Uh, and when you do stuff like that to upset, um, you know, the Christians and evangelicals, you have to expect that response, right? And if that is what you want to accomplish, then you should stick with it. You know, it's sort of like when Madonna's like on a burning cross, right? You know, or um, you're you're using actual religious imagery to make a point. You then can't turn around and be mad at the backlash to it because the backlash is what you wanted. It's also what propelled, you know, people talking about your project in the first place. So now people being mad about the sneaker is not the same thing as people not being mad at Tony Hawk's skateboard. They're two different things. I'm just trying to remember if Tony Hawk also plagiarized that skateboard. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the a lot of the anger that came around Lil Nas X and what happened there was pe- was him also getting sued for it being a stolen design. My thing about Lil Nas X is in a rare way for a celebrity, he's good at here's an old term, clapping back to people in his mentions on Twitter and having a fun, spontaneous, seemingly not scripted uh, response to people mm-hmm. and that shouldn't distract us from the fact that you should also stay out of your mentions and also th- you know the outrage that you as a celebrity stir up is probably some bullshit to the rest of us mm-hmm. mm. yeah i mean i love the off the cuff spontaneous responses um but some responses like that one specifically the one about you know saying why aren't people as mad about the skateboard as they were mad about the sneakers, feels calculated, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, if you're going to create backlash, um, then stick with it. Um, but now they're just going to, like, meet up and ride the skateboard together. So I guess it just <laughs> aco- I guess it accomplished another thing, more people talking about Little Nas X, as we're doing now, mm-hmm. which is more promo for the album. So yeah. who's really winning here? Not I. I'm curious what this has done to Tony Hawk, this army coming after this nice 
gulping man and his elbow pads. <laughs> uh, what's your keep it, Lewis? Okay, my keep it, I think, will be among my least popular of all time because everybody seems to like this movie, and I was waiting for the good part. My keep it is to the movie The Green Knight. Guys, Fuck you. I, guys, <laughs> Fuck you. Please, please stick to the Sir Gawain and the Green Knight of your middle school years that you're used to. Quoth T. Boz. <laughs> I just was waiting for the part where they did a twist on this old story that you read in literature class in seventh grade that was novel. I found it to be ambiguous in every way. Every shot was so fucking long, and even though it was gorgeous, I'm sick of just gorgeousness. I'm sick of CGI wonderment. It's also a movie where a lot is explained after the fact. Like, you're supposed to be confused about what's happening and what's real and what's hypothetical in the movie and what's actually occurring. And I spent too much time in that ambiguous space. I know I sound like an old person who just wants everything explained to them, but my God, they should have had somebody explain this shit to me. All I'm hearing is Lewis hates Indian people. <laughs> <laughs> lion sucks. Dev, Dev Patel apologized for Lion. Yeah. Did you not like Lion? I also thought that was terrible, but anyway. Mm, wow. The first part was great with the kid. Mm, the racism jumped out. Oh, right. No. <laughs> Lewis did an Indian man challenge. Exactly. He like, should have been, been the death of Pi. He should have stayed in the slums. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Dev Patel was the one I was sympathetic to on that show, The Newsroom, though. He was giving it his all, and mm. Aaron Sorkin was giving it cocaine. So, <laughs> I think he wasn't, and I think that was part of the problem. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he should have been. One more line, and it would have made sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love The Green Knight. To be honest, I thought it was first of all, the performances in the Green Knight are fantastic. It's basically you're just focused on his damn face the entire film. Yes, mm -hmm. he looks amazing, he does look amazing, and also it's a good performance from Alicia Vikander, who yeah. I had forgotten how to be a fan of hers. Um, ever since that year when we gave her an Oscar for maybe the worst Oscar nominated film of the past 10 years, The Danish Girl, she is mm. good in this movie. She should have won for interesting pseudo du dual role. She should have won for Ex Machina. Yeah, a lot of people argue it was really for that, and that she happened to be in this other movie that year too, which had a a typical Oscar bait performance from Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, let's not talk about that bitch <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> Noted enemy of Keep It, Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> he seems like a perfectly nice man, but woof. Yeah. I may have come to the defense mm. of Eddie a couple times in the past, but I was young then. Yeah, go play know. another trans role, Eddie. <laughs> oh, the Danish girl. Yeah, Eddie read they. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, I, I thought The Green Knight was a fantastic film. And also there's a shot of Dead Patel semen in it. Okay, that shot... Woke me the fuck up. Just I was between shot 40 all winks. On his hand. <laughs> yeah. By the way, it's also like in Call Me By Your Name, there's a shot with a, a similar uh, gloss, shall we say? And it did not seem as realistic as this was, which was extremely close up. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how they achieved that, but congrats on whatever Bill Nye work you did. I hate it has turned off her camera because <laughs> I said semen. My, my <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> it's like I have a one semen mention quota. Me of all the it's, it's the medical. Say come. Be an adult and say come. Mm. That's what it mm. is. 
Mm. Um, mm. Okay, my my keep it for this week. <sighs> Normally, my keep it isn't utter nonsense, but Donda sucked all the time out of my week, so I have to complain about inconsequential internet stuff. Um, so Lizzo, <laughs> Lizzo took to the Bird app the other day to give like all of her honorifics to all of music royalty. And I don't know who asked her to do that, but she did it. So she called Michael the King of Pop, which I feel like is a consensus. We, we, we're all right there. Bieber was the Prince of Pop, and the Princess of Pop is Britney Spears. But then Rihanna was given Pop Princess, which I don't know what the distinction is between those two things. Those seem to be exactly the same, but mm. I don't know. Lewis, you're looking at me like you might have something. But Lizzo called Janet Jackson the Queen of Pop, and ooh, the white people are mad that Madonna didn't get mentioned. First of all, I'm just going to say this here for the first and last time. I don't care about Madonna, no matter how many times y'all try and make me care about her. I try, I, I've tried so many times. I want to listen. I want to vibe. I wanted the pointy boobs. I want to be a fan. I really do. <laughs> but every time I try, I just can't. I can't get sucked in. Maybe it's something you had to live through. Maybe you had to experience her, her wildness and the, her, the actual, like, sensuality of Madonna during the time. But now I know her as the woman who was just making crazy videos in her bathtub during the pandemic and calling her black son the n-word so do you see how it's difficult for me to care about madonna um janet jackson was lizzo's choice janet can't sing Again, <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I had no idea this is where it was going <laughs> <laughs> janet, janet can dance janet simply cannot sing and i just don't know why that would be the person that you choose i'm just disgusted that i even have to make this clarification that it's whitney houston it's a uh, why? Oh, why do I have to I come see. here and do that? It's mm. clearly Whitney Houston. There's a list of 50 million things that I could say about Whitney Houston that give her the title of the queen of pop, the actual queen. She invented the Star Spangled Banner. She's Frances Scott Key herself. Uh -huh. She wrote it. Okay. She's given you bop after bop after bop that is not just the soundtrack to every single dance movie of the 80s and 90s, but it's really good music. And Lizzo. I'm already mad at you for the music you've been putting out lately. Not that you're not doing everything that you can, but I just, I want you to, I want you, I, 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 I'm mad at Lizzo right now. I have so many little keepits around Lizzo. I'm mad at what we as an audience have forced Lizzo's career to be, which is like songs about negating rumors instead of songs about just being the bad bitch that she is. And it just leaves me in a, a sour taste. With Lizzo. No, I mean, Lizzo. let's talk about who can and can't sing. You can't, I mean, you, you, you can't complain that <laughs> then Britney Spears was mentioned in a conversation about pop royalty because, I mean, Britney Spears, the vocals. I mean, by the way, I do not care about great vocals in pop. Again, I am a Madonna stan. It's never been about, oh, I need to see her perform in Carmen or I need to see her perform in Aida, uh, uh, to put a fine point on it. <laughs> But she was good in Evita. Pretty good. It's a two and a half star movie. Don't ask Patty LaPone, but she was good in Evita. <laughs> I personally think it's perfectly cool to say either Madonna or Janet is the queen of pop. I mean, they were certainly contemporaneous. They were certainly like almost equally successful in music. I think Madonna has 12 number one hits and Janet has around 10. To me, what makes it harder to vote for Janet in this case is that she just has less music than Madonna, who put out way more albums than Janet did over the years, even though Janet's albums have 36 tracks and about 15 of them are moaning. <laughs> well, you can, you can blame the 
real Prince of Pop, Justin Timberlake, for that. Okay. <laughs> I was that, too. It also felt like Bieber was out of the, like, list of contemporaries. Like, how are we Why bringing Bieber Britney in that and list? Rihanna in the conversation with Bieber? It just, it felt a little odd. And also, what is the distinction between Princess of Pop and Pop Princess? Nothing. I mean. Nothing. Okay. There's a preposition in one of them. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Rihanna is the princess of Avon, okay? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Going door-to-door selling makeup. <laughs> she, has, she hasn't been anywhere in, in relation to pop exactly in almost a decade, right. all right? Queen Mary, Queen Mary K. That's what she is at this point. <laughs> uh, actually, no, I'm glad that she included Bieber because I knew, we talked about it when his album came out. His vocals have always been smooth. It's always giving the girls what they need, okay? Since his YouTube, 2007 YouTube days. I'm still a believer. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's not so superior that you would call him the Prince of Pop. Yeah. No. I think that everyone tries to come up with a superlative in this, in the pop royalty, just because Michael Jackson used to call himself the King of Pop. Right. And then we had to, you know, fill out the court. Sure. Right. No, he, yeah, he can't be there by himself. Picture the Remember the Time video. Who's the jester of pop? Right. Oh, the, mm. well, there's a few <laughs> options for that, obviously. <laughs> mm. I mean, that would be Kanye, would it not? More hip-hop, though. Does pop now include rap? Because, I mean, it's a mainstream genre, so That's it is fair. pop. It quotes. is pop. Yeah. Wow, yeah. there you go. Mm-hmm. Culture wars. <laughs> You're right. The kingdoms are merging. He's the mad king of pop, okay? Mm. He, he's, he, Kanye is Lear at this point. Or like, yeah. Rasputin. Yeah. <laughs> He's the executioner of pop with his most recent Balenciaga outfits. <laughs> Katy Perry's the jester of pop. <laughs> Should we all pick our favorite um, <laughs> Janet Jackson songs quickly? I think I remember Ira's. Is yours I Get Lonely? It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Video edit. Sure. Oh, duh. Mine changes. I think mine is, oh, mine is Runaway from Design of a Decade, the uh, mm. Her greatest hits, the song they tapped onto. The video for that, she hops from continent to continent, and it is very cheesy, but I enjoy it. Because she's running away. Right. They illustrated that <laughs> in the video. <laughs> it's like she's playing the final game in um, Carmen San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> Here is Nigeria. <laughs> Here's Sweden. At this point, Carmen San Diego. Comes up on every podcast. Eve's Bayou. Like, we just need a running list of the things that we can't stop mentioning. It used to be Charlie Puth, but Ira has since strayed from his love. So I don't know how you're feeling these days. I want to know where the bitch's album is, okay? No fucking <laughs> joke. He said he had an album during the pandemic. Where is it? Yeah. He, he had some, like, comment about how he wanted to take his time and actually release a great album. And well, you've done it now. And not just a collection of songs. So... <sighs> Don Datu. <laughs> What's Charlie's mama's name? <laughs> wow. Probably Laverne. Charlie Poo's mom's name is Deborah. So Yes. Oh. Where is the Deborah? Five tracks? letters starts with a D. Deborah, 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 Deborah. Everyone should every pop star should be required to release an album that just Begins with a chant of their mother's name. <laughs> <laughs> and it samples Selena Gomez and Lauren Conrad. That's where we're at. Yeah. All right. Um, Aida, you got some last words to say? I love you all. Um, keep staying critical of everything around you. 
Come listen to Keep It. Come listen to the guest host. I miss you guys. Wish me luck. I wish you all the bestest of luck. And I'll be back in November. It won't be long. You'll you'll barely notice I'm gone. Uh, here's a hot take. Aida's the best. Get back here soon. Oh, yeah. I'll be back. Yeah. I'll be back. I'll be back with my nonsense jokes very, very soon. Phew. I'm just going to name the episode Aida Ben Osborne and make them think you're gone. <laughs> 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 uh, remember when I used to say Ben all the time? Yes, I yes, do. Yes, uh, <laughs> ah, I miss that. I miss B too. I feel like the had a moment. You yeah. just liked, you know, you liked an interstitial word. You li- you mm-hmm. used to love. Yeah. Bring it back, girl. Come on, DJ Holiday. Bring that shit back. Bring that shit the fuck back. <laughs> oh my god. Bye right. guys. Catch me on ABC's Dancing with the Stars. Yes. <laughs> <Love> you. <laughs> Thank you to Mini Driver for joining us. Um, and to Cindy Washington for lending her um, vocal stylings to the interview. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Caroline Reston. And our associate producer is Brian Semmel. Our executive producer is me, Ira Madison III. Our editor is Bill Lance. And Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Narmel Konian and Milo Kim for production support every week. And hey, stay safe out there. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.